uh, kids are dismissed to head out to Bible Adventures, and uh, they can go um, enjoy that uh, during our sermon this morning if, if they're interested. Uh, a couple things that are coming up. Uh, we are having a collection for Chris and Crystal Settlemeyer, who are our missionaries in Nairobi, Kenya, and they just had their second baby, if you didn't know that, and he's uh, six weeks old at this point. Um, and Anita Shackman is in charge of that, so you can give some uh, cash or a, a check to her, and we will give them some money so they can get whatever they need for the baby on Amazon.com, because it's a little easier than us uh, sending them something. Just wanted to find a way to show them some love. So you're welcome to um, give to Anita. You can participate in that. I also want to continue to highlight next week our Be the Church Sunday. Um, And I want to say a couple things about that. First, if you um, are interested in getting out and working in our in the community around us next week, that is awesome. Wear clothes that you can do that in. We're going to have some painting projects. We're going to be um, doing some weeding for uh, neighbors, some cleanup around the community. So if you want to wear jeans uh, next Sunday, maybe even a tank top, you know, if you want to, that's okay. Get, do, do, get something that you can get, get a little bit dirty. We actually will have shirts that we're going to provide uh, this next week so we can be a presence in our community. But there's also going to be jobs for you if you um, aren't able to do something physical and you want to stay at the building. And we have some important organizations that we're going to write some cards to and notes. So we basically just want to say you have no excuse for not being here. Um, We want everybody here and everybody can do something valuable for our community. Our goal with this Sunday is just to show the love of Christ to our community. And I was thinking this might be a great time if you have somebody that you're thinking of inviting to church. It may be a little easier to say like, hey, come and just be part of a day where we're making the community better. Um, it's a little easier than saying, come listen to a boring sermon. You know, it's a little bit better. Um, and so that might help you. So please just, just talk to somebody um, and invite them to participate in that. And then obviously you have the cards for Easter Sunday, which we're very excited about um, as well. But we hope that this um, next Sunday will be a blessing to our community and just be a positive way that we can um, use this, this hour of worship that we have together to, to bless our world. So Please be in prayer for that and consider uh, how you can be involved. It would be fantastic uh, to have you there. Sign up sheets um, in the foyer area for some of the different projects that we'll be doing. So I'd love for you to sign up so you can uh, participate. So we have been going through a series in the book of Philippians talking about the idea of joy, what it means to be um, joyful people, to have the, the joy of God in us. And the thing that we just continue to think about, what's amazing about this book, it is written by someone who is in prison and really, I think, kind of knows that his life is on the line, that he's probably not going to make it too much longer, yet he writes with this persistent joy. And it's hard for me to consider, how do you possibly have that joy when life's hard? And I get cut off in traffic and I lose my joy, right? I mean, there's like little things that can happen to me. I'm in an argument with somebody and I just can lose my joy so easily. How do you have a persistent joy when you're writing from prison. So we've been considering that for quite a while. We've been going through this book for a very long time. We're going to conclude this series um, on Easter Sunday, actually, with a passage that, that we skipped, which we'll get back to, which I think has a really important message for uh, the resurrection as we consider it. But some of Paul's closing thoughts is what we're going to look at today. I'm um, in Philippians chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. So he says to this church, and again, we like to think of this as probably a house church of 15 to 20 people. He, he writes and says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment 
and have more than enough. I'm amply su- supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you've sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be uh, glory forever and ever. Amen. So as Paul is concluding this letter to this house church of people, he says basically, translated in the Brian Shackman translation, thanks for the cash. I really appreciate it. Thanks for thinking of me. And you might have had a moment like that when you were in college and you had to like ask mom and dad for money and be like, oh, I'm a little short this month. I remember having one of those conversations myself and they were like, shouldn't you have more money? And I was thinking in my head, well, skydiving was expensive. So, um, and I had to like get that cash and then get that through. But yeah, you have those moments in life when you're like, you know, thanks for the cash. It's kind of interesting how he writes it. He's, he's writing and he says, you know, you guys, you, you church in Philippi, You've done this not once, you've done this multiple times. And in fact, you are the one who consistently does this. I mean, I don't want to call anybody out by name, but Ephesus. I mean, come on, like, let's, like, there's, there's other, other, I'm not going to say the names of the people who haven't sent me cash, but y'all, like, you continue to do it. And I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thank you for your gift. And you have to remember that he's writing this from prison and prison back in that day was even tougher than it was in our time that when someone went to prison, they weren't getting three meals a day. That you would have to like basically rely on people either bringing you food consistently or bringing you money. And the journey from Philippi to where he is likely in Rome is at least a a two to four week journey. So it's not just like some small thing. They've done something that is really like above and beyond. And so Paul, at the end of this letter, some people think that it's likely maybe that this is one of the main reasons why he's writing this letter, basically to say, thank you so much. This is a wonderful gift. This is like literally helping me eat tomorrow. So thank you that you've continued to consider me. Thank you that you continue to give generously to me. And what's interesting about this part of this letter is it's, I think it's somewhat unique in the writings of Paul because when Paul writes, he writes so beautifully. He's a very brilliant guy. He's really studied the works of Paul. He's written much of the New Testament. And the works usually are, are talking about like the, the unbelievable grace of God and what that means for our lives and the implications that it has. And he writes so beautifully at times about exactly what that means. But all of a sudden, right here, it's like he suddenly shifts and he sounds like he's teaching a business class or something. Like, look at some of the terms that he uses just in this, in this short time. He says, in the matter of giving and receiving, credited to your account, I've received full payment. It's weird. Like, all of a sudden, he starts talking in these, like, very businessy terms, like, very, like, technical, you know, passing money around. I've, I've received full payment. As I view some of the things that Paul says here, I remember I had um, 7 a.m. econ senior year, which was super effective in high school, right? I, I don't remember much of that class, actually. But it suddenly sounds like 7 a.m. econ for me. It's like, you know, thank you so much. This is credited to your account. I've received full payment. In the matter of giving and receiving, he suddenly has this shift. And it's a pretty crazy shift as he usually is writing about, you know, all these unbelievable things about God. And then he kind of just hones in and says, but 
this is very technical here. Like, thank you so much. Like, this means a lot. And he talks in, in these terms, which are a little bit unique to the writings of Paul. And it's language that people who would have been listening, they would have said, okay, yeah, so we're now talking business here. And you might be somebody who's like a respectable business person. Maybe you have a great career. And you know, like when industry words start getting used, when people start talking shop. So they would have heard this as like, all right, you know, this is, this is business language. This is how we talk to each other. And it's interesting that in, in Greco-Roman culture, what you would do if someone gave something to you is your hope would be to return the favor to them plus a little bit extra. So if someone was to give you a gift, then the thought was, all right, well, I want to return that gift plus like a little bit more. Like I want to go above and beyond. We're somewhat like this today that, you know, you don't want to be in someone's debt for too long. And so the thought was like that you would say this, even if you were someone like Paul who happens to be in prison and likely isn't going to have a chance to pay it back, you would say something like, you know, I really appreciated this. I've received this. It's been credited to my account. And I will like one day, you know, try to repay you plus a little bit extra by this or that, even if you had no chance perhaps, because that was just what you did. In that society, that was the way that you talked. You said, like, well, this is how I'm going to pay you back, and eventually this is going to be the way, this is going to be what I'm going to do. So it's somewhat surprising. Paul shifts to this language that they would have recognized as very, like, businessy conversation. You know, spreadsheets and ledgers and Excel docs. Some of you, that's your love language. And, and Paul just kind of switches to this kind of language. And then you would expect that he would then go on and say, this is how I'm going to repay you. And in fact, he doesn't. I mean, we have a, a phrase that is similar to this somewhat. You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And in Roman society, what you would say is like, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours a little bit longer. That was like how, how it was. And so they, they would have been somewhat familiar and it's like they would have been able to like conclude that phrase. Okay, we're starting to talk businessy now. So now just tell us exactly what you're going to repay us. A few years ago, I came across this, this story uh, that was in a book I was reading. I think it was a Reader's Digest story, uh, and I, I think it definitely applies to this. Uh, it's about two people who've exchanged gifts, and so it goes like this. Several weeks ago, a friend called and invited me to lunch. I met him at Cafe Express. As we stepped to the counter, he said, get whatever you want. This is on me. So I ordered my favorite entree, the Mediterranean salmon, priced at twelve ninety nine. He paid for lunch, and we had a nice time catching up. Later that afternoon, I sent him a thank you note. As a token of gratitude, I also went to Amazon and had a copy of my favorite book sent to him. The price of the book was $15.99. I made a mental note. The next time we had coffee, I'd let him buy because I was now ahead $3. (laughs) A week later, I received a note in the mail from my friend thanking me for the thank you note and the book. He also enclosed a Starbucks gift card for $5. He was now ahead by two bucks. So I wrote him a thank you note, thanking him for his thank you note and gift card. I also sent him a copy of an article I downloaded from Harvard Business Review for $3. If you're keeping score at home, you now know I'm ahead by a dollar. A few days later, a small package arrived at my doorstep. I opened it up and found a thank you note from my friend, thanking me for the thank you note I sent him in response to his thank you note, which he had sent me after I thanked him for lunch. The package also contained a pack of chewing gum. I went to the grocery store and after some investigation, learned that that pack of gum cost my friend a dollar and 19 cents. So he now had me by 19 cents. So in my thank you note, thanking him for the second iteration of his thank you note, I enclosed two Jolly Rancher candies, each valued at a dime apiece. It felt good to be one penny in the black. (laughs) For the next two weeks, I refused to check my mail. I was trying to quit while I was ahead, but finally curiosity got the best of me, and I found in my pile of mail a little square envelope with a smiley face where the return address should be. 
The envelope appeared to be empty until I found, wedged in the bottom corner, a single orange Tic Tac. <laughs> Which, if you like orange Tic Tacs, it's worth more than a penny, I'd say. I popped it into my mouth and vowed I would never have lunch with my friend again unless he apologized for not formally thanking me for the Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> so yeah, that's a ridiculous story, obviously, uh, made up. But isn't this sometimes the mindset that we can get into when it comes to our relationships? That, you know, you pay for me this time, and so I'm going to get you next time. And I'm not saying that this isn't like somewhat a good policy. You don't want to be the freeloader who always gets paid for when you go out to lunch. You don't want to be that person, perhaps. But isn't it easy at times to just almost keep this running tally in our heads of, you know, she owes me or, or he owes me? And the problem with this mentality isn't that, you know, it's sometimes good to, to pay back and not just be the person who always gets paid for, but the problem with this mentality is it starts to motivate you by guilt instead of generosity. That, yeah, somebody at one time, like, had you over into their home, and so you feel like you probably should have them into your home as well, but it's never good to have guilt as the motivation for why you would do that. That instead, it's about a different sort of way of viewing the world. That they welcomed you into their home out of generosity and love and that you then would do the same. It's easy for us to fall into this like, transactional mindset when we view people. Even in, We all know that transactions aren't the best way to live. And so what's interesting is Paul puts this matter of like giving and receiving, again, something that he does with very technical language and technical terms. He then turns it and puts it in kind of a different space. If you'll put that slide up for me, uh, Robbie, with the um, passage from Philippians that we, we were looking at. Um, he says, so I've received full payment. I have more than enough. I've amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent there, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. What Paul does is he basically like starts the statement, you scratch my back. And then they expect to hear, and I'll scratch yours. And he says, basically, you scratch my back, and God will scratch yours. That it's a different sort of economy that I want you to think about and live out. That Basically, you know, trust me, church in Philippi here, like I really deeply appreciate, you have no idea how much it means to me that you would continue to have concern for me in somewhat of a monetary way. I deeply, deeply appreciate that. But God sees. God knows. I don't have to keep track. I don't have to keep score. I don't have to say like, okay, well, you did that for me, so now I'm going to do this for you, there's something different that Paul is tapping into. He doesn't say like, well, now I owe you big time. Like, this is going to be what I have to do. No, he just says, God sees. God knows. Is there somebody in your life who owes you something? Maybe someone comes to mind. Is there someone that maybe you need to just say, all right, God sees. God knows that, yes, maybe I'd like to get my tools back, but I'm going to have a different way of seeing this. 
For Paul, he consistently writes about the the selfless love of Christ. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, maybe one of my favorite passages in Scripture, uh, Paul writes about how Christ, even though he could have considered himself like God, he selflessly gave. For Paul, this is like the very nature of God. This is like the center of creation is Jesus who who came to show us what God is like. And Jesus could have like used all his power for his own glory and done everything just for his own acclaim. And Jesus was willing to suffer and struggle on a cross. The selfless love of our creator for Paul is at the center of the world. And if that's true, couldn't we stop keeping score a little bit? Couldn't we stop from having this perspective? Yeah, I'm only going to be good to the people who were good to me. Couldn't we have a different perspective? And Paul basically just puts this, again, they would have been expecting this sort of mentality and this mindset, this way of viewing things. And he says, think about how God sees this gift. This, my church, my people, this is a fragrant offering to God. He puts it in a totally different mindset. And you know that the best relationships are built out of this mindset. If you are married and you just say, all right, I'm only going to love you as much as you love me and not an ounce more, and that's not going to be super effective. That a good marriage is built on two people constantly like communicating and saying to each other in action and in deed, I am selflessly trying to give myself away to you. I'm going to put you first in all that I do. And this is true in friendships as well. If you have a friend that lives on the west side of town, sometimes you have to be the one who drives across town to see them, right? It's not always going to be them. And it's not because you feel some sort of obligation to them. It's just because you, you know that good friendships are built on, you know, you sacrifice for me sometimes and I'll sacrifice for you. Good relationships are built on people just basically having what I would call like a submission competition. Like how can I like build you up and lift you up? How can I allow myself to, to be humbled so that you might thrive? And these are the best kinds of relationships. We don't view them transactionally. We don't keep a score and just wait at home, and then we just think, okay, well, now I'm a little bit ahead. Now I owe that person two Tic Tacs and a thank you note. Instead, we just ask ourselves, how might I be a blessing to him? How might I be a blessing to her? Paul wants us to just get rid of this whole scoreboard mentality. There's a woman named Sumer, Su- Susan Bradley um, who is the um, founder of what's called the Sudden Money Institute because I guess we needed another institute. And um, they formed this institute studying people who suddenly get a lot of money because we all think that, you know, if we all got a lot of money, then everything would be perfect for us. But in reality, it's most oftentimes a struggle for those people. And so she says this about people who get into sudden money. For many people, sudden money can cause disaster. In our culture, there's a widely held belief that money solves problems. People think if they had more money, their troubles would be over. When a family receives sudden money, they frequently learn that money can cause as many problems as it solves. Often they can keep the money and lose family and friends, or they lose the money and keep the family and friends, or even lose the money and lose the family and friends. Because the issue when you suddenly get a ton of money, if you know you won the lottery tomorrow, 
one, you know, whatever it is, $50 million. Then everybody just comes around and says, hey, Uncle Brian, how much is my relationship worth to you? I work close enough, right? And I'm blessed because I have a whole congregation. If any of you win, then I'll be like, hey, I'm your preacher. How much was all that spiritual instruction worth to you for all these years? And I know we all think, and you're the person, and I'm, I'm the same way. I don't really ever play the lottery, but if I did, you know, on those times when it's like um, so much money, it's like, you know, you put a dollar in to see what will happen. But we all think, no, 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 I'm going to be better about this. You know, if I do it, then it's going to be fine. But you're all going to have these people coming out of the woodwork and saying, remember that thing I did for you, you know, 10 years ago? And we think that money is going to solve all our problems, but there is an institute that tells us no, because sudden money can be an issue. The problem is that all of a sudden, it makes relationships which are about selfless love transactional. And it's like, well, how much do you love me in terms of that $50 million that you just won? This is why it's, it's a problem um, when families are often like splitting up the will and going through that kind of stuff. There's always drama around that because it's like, well, I loved mom 8% more than you. And we start to think about relationships transactionally. We run into problems. So that's what Paul is, is saying. When it comes to thinking of how you might like be in the world and bless other people, he says, you know, you, church, you have done so much for me. I'm so thankful for you. It's such a blessing for me. But God sees and God knows. One of the things that's hardest, I think, about like, how we view the world, um, in the United States specifically, I think a couple pillars of our society are fairness and equality. And those things are really important. I mean, those things are really, really valuable. I love fairness. I love equality. We should like, strive in our world to be more fair and more equal. But the problem is God asks us to see things through the lens of grace. And grace isn't fair. Grace continues to call us to love in ways that aren't going to make sense. Grace is going to continue to call us out to understand that, yes, I just can't see this person in the matter of just like giving and receiving, and if he scratches my back, I'll scratch his. It's a totally different way of seeing the world. And praise God for that grace, right? Because none of us have enough on the right side of the ledger to outweigh the sin that's in our lives. And that's why we, we celebrate when, when people um, get baptized because it's basically a submission and we understand that when someone is baptized, it's saying, I can't do this on my own. Grace continues to call us to love in ways that don't make sense. And as we think of transactions and relationships, it's easy for us to start falling into a scoreboard mentality. And I think Paul would say to us, God sees and God knows. May grace be the way that you see relationships and see the world. May you see your, your relationship in a marriage that you would say, okay, I just want to selflessly give myself to you. And in friendships, I just want to selflessly give. Because it's in that way of living, I would argue, that we find like the true best way for us to live. I asked 
Chris and Crystal to uh, do a short video for us today as we close. If you don't know Chris and Crystal, they're in Nairobi, Kenya, and uh, we're very blessed to be a supporter of their mission work, and they work among some of the poorest people uh, in the world, and I'm so thankful that they have a chance to share, because oftentimes when we think about missionaries, we can think of somebody who, you know, like, basically like walks off a throne, you know, like does something really significant. And Chris and Crystal walked away from life here, which is a really blessed life, and they get to go work among some of the poorest people in the world. And we can start to think of that in like a transactional mentality and think, wow, it's really, really cool that they did that. But what Chris and Crystal will share right now is that from giving their lives away to an organization that is doing some awesome work in Nairobi, Kenya, they've been given great things as well. So go ahead and run that video for me, Chen.